1: Welcome in to episode 216 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations that's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson, look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you?
0: I'm doing good, Jack. How are you?
1: Oh, hanging in there, enjoying uh, the leftovers from Kentucky's very impressive. I mean, all, all things considered, 95-63 win over Howard to open the season. Sean, uh, Kentucky short-handed down three scholarship players. Oscar Sheboy coming back from uh, his minor knee procedure. He's expected to be back at least by the Champions Classic, maybe even by Friday, um, but d- uh, definitely on his way back. Saver Wheeler also nursing a knee injury. And then, obviously, Damian Collins uh, is out uh, following the passing of his father. Uh, he just got back in Lexington. He's going to go back. Uh, this weekend for the funeral. Uh, So no word on if he's going to be playing on Friday against Duquesne, but um, UK down three scholarship players, still able to put up 95 points, Sean, uh, shoot 55% from the field, uh, uh, 46% from three. Uh, I mean, a really, really impressive offensive performance there and then holds uh, Howard to 63 points as a 25-point favorite, a lot to like about Kentucky's uh, performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, down down two starters and a, a key reserve, and you pick up your biggest win in a season opener and most points in a season opener and largest margin of victory since 2011. So, yeah, a lot of good for sure. I, di- I didn't get to watch the game live, but obviously I caught all the highlights. I saw the box score and, and you know, read quotes and things, but – Uh, You you definitely got a really good night from Antonio Ruiz, which is good to see. You know a bounce back from the especially the first exhibition there a a week or so ago, and then uh, CJ Frederick had a a really good game. And what was it's crazy? Like what 500 plus days his first official game?
1: Five ninety five.
0: Yeah, almost 600 days since an official game. So you know that felt good for him to get out there, and uh, yeah, a a good way to start the season. You kind of get to test that depth and, and see what some of those other guys are made of, and. And now you just uh, want to get everybody healthy and everybody back together and get rolling before the schedule really gets tough.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a really nice opportunity, Sean, to see guys in a real live environment. You know, we got the exhibition games. We got to see Kaysen at the one of those exhibition games. You got extended looks at Ugonic, uh, Onyenso, and Lance Ware at, the, at you know, who's going to emerge as the backup five. A lot of the questions, I think, about this team are starting to, become you know get answered before the season even really begins which i think is is incredible uh just in terms of the development we got uh, the you know the bahamas minutes and in the, you know, the those four exhibition games and how crucial those were we got the blue white game uh you got the two exhibition games we're getting a lot of live game reps really before the game the season even begins uh, now this being the latest example Casey wallace at the one who was tremendous sean absolutely tremendous on his birthday 15 points uh flirt with a a triple double, 15 points, seven of 11 shooting, one for two from three, went, had nine assists, eight rebounds, uh, two steals, uh, only turned the ball over twice in 35 minutes. So, uh, for his debut as a as a point guard number one in, in the Kentucky offense in a real live game setting, I don't think you could have asked for anything more uh, from from Kaysen, And then obviously, we'll get into you know the, the backup center behind Oscar and, and who was playing. Uh, in those minutes and, you know, with Lance and Hugo and, and who who thrived out of those two. But uh, Kaysen, I think, was clearly one of the top takeaways and just how easily and, and seamless a transition has been for him as point guard one.
0: Yeah, I think that was the most encouraging thing about it. When you you look at that stat line is he had no problem manning the ship and, and running the point for Kentucky. And, and that's something we've talked about in recent weeks. Well, since we got to see these guys playing, you know, in the blue-white game and then actual competition is we see – Kason running this show quite a bit at some point, and I, and I think with the ball in his hands, uh, a big guard getting downhill, getting two feet in the paint, uh, the passes he was firing and transition to Antonio Reeves and, and others, I mean, he looked comfortable in that role, and you could tell that Cal and these guys and the staff had spent the entire fall getting him ready to to have the ball in his hands.
1: Yeah, and the the most beautiful part of all of it, I think, Sean, is just how quickly he adjusted and and, and just kind of the, the transition time of, okay, this didn't work, you know. Just you could see him process the game at such a high level uh, in what he was known for in, in high school and what made him kind of the, the top ten, you know, even as high as top five, uh, you know, recruit. Just how quickly he processed the game and his high basketball IQ, uh, I thought it was really telling. One of the very first possessions of the game, he, uh, you know, he kind of slashes through, cuts down the middle of the lane, and he tries to do a, ba- a dump off bounce pass to Toppen, who's driving baseline or cutting baseline for a, a lay-in. And uh, he misses him, turns the ball over. The same exact thing happens a couple of uh, possessions later, Sean. He cuts down the middle and has the same exact opportunity. I think he had a, a cutter come in baseline as well. Instead of, you know, trying to make the extra pass, the unnecessary pass, he goes in for the easy floater and sinks it for his first college basketball bucket. And it's little things like that that you can just see him process the game and, and slowly get more comfortable. You know, I, I think – he just needs to understand that he's a hooper, Sean. He's a guy that he can go get his, he can go get make plays, he can find open teammates. He's going to be a dog on defense. We know that he's going to play winning basketball. John Calipari already said uh, we need more Case and is on this team, and and for him to say that this early, it really is a, a just a sign of how advanced he is and and how uh, valuable he is to this team. You know, rock out case Like, Cason is a guy that just needs to rock out and needs to understand how good he is. You know, I think it's crazy. I talk to his dad all the time. I talk to, you know, Cason. I don't think they understand how good Cason is. I think that they genuinely have doubts about who he is as a basketball player, and who, you know, he can be, and just kind of, you know, understanding that, like, he's a lottery pick. He's a guy that very well could end up being a top ten pick because of all the things that he brings to the table. And I think that's kind of the beauty of all of it, is that Kaysen and and the people around him uh, are just so understanding the process and willing to, uh, you know, let things ride out and and aren't just, you know, all right, we're going to spend eight quick months here in college and get you to the NBA. They're really here for real development, and, and what a way to develop, uh, than 35 minutes to open the season as point guard number one.
0: I've always thought that Kaysen's transition to the collegiate game would be a lot smoother than what a lot of people thought. And in large part due to his willingness and ability to defend on and off the ball, but also his body and his frame. Like he he's he's an impressive looking, I mean young man is for a freshman in college basketball. And you're getting to see it offensively and defensively. That's a guy that opponents are going to have to deal with on both ends of the floor. Uh, whether he's hitting shots or not, he's going to guard you. He's going to create turnovers, get some fast break opportunities uh, for Kentucky. And you got to see that last night.
1: Yeah. Uh, the other big takeaways, John Calipari kind of uh, turned heads after the game where he said, I want this to be a team that that takes 25 threes a game, which you know we've seen in the past that Kentucky struggled to even get past that you know, 15, 17-ish, you know, number. And Cal wants this team to, to launch 25 of them. We saw 24 last night, uh, 12 from Antonio Reeves. He broke a UK debut record with six makes. Sean, the de- the, the debut record before Antonio was three, and that was with Kellen Grady, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Deron Lamb, and I believe Patrick Sparks all hit three threes in their UK debuts. Uh, Antonio Reeves said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go double that. And uh, he goes six for 12 from the C.J. Frederick goes two of five as well. Really, really impressive uh, for both of them talking to Kaysen and, uh, you know, obviously C.J. as well. But uh, Antonio, uh, all three of them after the game were like, we we understand how good we are as, as three point shooters. We understand the, the talent we have on the outside uh, as shooters. And we expect to shoot the shoot the rock. We know that we're going to have open looks, and we know if you're guarding him, you're not going to guard me, and if you're guarding me, then you're not going to you're, you're going to be leaving him open. You can't guard both of us uh, the way that that we need uh, need to be guarded. So, those two together in this offense, you got to figure out a way to get them on the floor together, consistent minutes.
0: Yeah, those transition looks for those guys and stuff. That's where I think Kentucky is going to make a living this year. Is the open floor is. With Kaysen and then when Savier's healthy and, and Oscar Shibway run to the rim, when, when Kentucky's back to full strength, the way that they can run the floor with those two guys, I think it's just going to put a ton of pressure on teams instantly from the moment. Missed shots are going to be baskets for Kentucky. Like that's the difference. You're going to get – they can stretch you out from the three-point line. They can get you with guards getting downhill to the rim, Oscar Shibway running to the rim. Uh, the thing that stood out to me, though, with watching you know the film and stuff from, from last night was – antonios it's not just a three-point shot. We know that he hit six threes, but there was a play where he went baseline, had a reverse layup. There was also a play where he put it on the deck and got into a little runner on the baseline as well. Like he He's doing things that's not just pigeonholing him into being a three-point shooter. And you're seeing C.J. Frederick kind of do those same things as well. Like That's what makes Kentucky more dynamic is that these guys that are these shooters can also kind of go get their own and add, and add to it at the rim, to that mid-range jumper, and, and some different things. I thought both of those guys were excellent.
1: Yeah, CJ, and you, you you mentioned it to start the show. It's been a long, long, adversity-filled journey for him. And, and, and everything that he's overcome, I just, you know, put wrote a, a long feature there on KSR. It's been something that honestly has been in the in the works for uh, well over a year. Um, he had a really close relationship with his grandfather. The last time he got to see him play in a live game it was a 2018 run to uh the the state title with Kovcath. Uh, back at Rupp Arena, that was the last time he, his grandfather got to see him play before he passed uh, in 2019. Uh, so I kind of did a, you know, a, a long, in-depth feature, just that family and the impact that his grandfather made on all of them. And, uh, and, and you know, that was a moment that he was really, really excited for going into last season and then obviously going to, you know, Champions Classic, goes up for a, a dunk in the layup line, Sean, and, and he tears his hamstring off the bone, has to get season-ending surgery, just absolute buzzard luck for a guy that has been working so hard and he's kind of been hampered by injuries his his entire career, Uh, you know, 595 game days without playing a live basketball game, Sean, is a ton. You can have, you know, the exhibition games and uh, you know, the Bahamas and all that stuff. It's great. But this was a really big moment for him. This was somebody that uh, has been really waiting for, uh, you know, this opportunity for him to go out, 20 points, 6 of 9 shooting, 2 of 5 from 3, 6 of 7 from the free throw line. His career uh, career high in free throw attempts is 8, Sean, and I, I really like that he was able to get to the line uh, for 7 attempts. I think he got all 7 of them in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. 3 assists, 3 rebounds, 0 turnovers, 1 steal in 30 minutes. And that's uh, what he's been known for, and that's something that we've kind of, uh, you know, Said to watch out for closely on this show, just how many minutes he plays and how few turnovers he has. That's what he's known for. That's what he's what, you know, him being safe with the ball is, is you know, one of the most impressive traits about him. He did a lot of really, really good things. And just seeing how confident he was in his body, Sean, um, well, you know, he wasn't overcompensated. He was a guy that was ready for this moment.
0: Yeah, and if if you could rewind, and it's it's been about a year now since that injury happened. It's I mean champions
1: almost to the, almost to the day, yeah. yeah.
0: Almost to the day. And uh if you could rewind, obviously CJ Frederick would not take that injury that happened in Madison Square Garden, but but Jack, I, I, I kind of feel like that him going through that, it kind of allowed him to really shift his attention and focus onto his entire body. And just the way that he came back this summer. And the slow progression into the Bahamas and then the progression into just practices and now playing the number of minutes that he's been playing, this is the healthiest he's looked in a long time. And I think in large part due to his entire body from top to bottom is in the best shape it's ever been in his life. And I think that that second injury, the one a year ago, I mean, we know that the the, the issues with his feet and stuff at Iowa, those are what they are. But then the other injury, I I just think getting himself into the condition and shape that he's in now – this is the best shape he's been in in his life. He looks completely different than he did in pictures at Iowa. He looks completely different than he did in pictures a year ago at Kentucky. I think that that preparation and commitment and whatever Kentucky's done with strength and conditioning there in their program is why you're seeing CJ do the things he's doing, and I'm hoping it's going to maintain and help him be healthy out throughout this entire season.
1: Sean, he went from 25% body fat when he got to Kentucky yeah. to eight in yeah. one year. Like, that's that's, that, that's helped. That's a really, really significant jump. And, and you could tell. I mean, you just watch him play. You, you can tell that he's so confident in the way he moves and, and just, uh, you know, coming off screens and, and just how meticulous he is about everything. He is, he is such a high basketball IQ vet. I mean, he's one of those guys that he has been around the game for, you know, the college basketball game. This is his fourth year of college, or I guess this is his fifth. So he spent one red shirting. Uh, at Iowa, two on the floor, one uh, out due to injury at Kentucky, and then this is his fifth year of college basketball. He's a redshirt senior, and he still has two more years of eligibility if he wants to use them, Sean. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he'll go for that one because, I mean, that'll be like seven years in college, and I don't know if, if that's even, a, you know. <laughs> Pretty and,
0: impressive degrees there, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, so <laughs> at some point you got to move on. But his career is almost just getting started. I think that's kind of the beauty of all this, and I kind of have a hot take. I know the game, the season just started, and uh, it seems a little early to, you know, be making big picture assumptions and, and talk like this. But I'm willing to bet that by year's end, CJ Frederick will be Kentucky's second most valuable player on the team behind Oscar Sheboygan. And I want to include Kaysen in that conversation, but I think those three in particular are going to be Kentucky's most valuable players mm-hmm. and, and the biggest impact guys because of just everything they do to impact the game together. I just I have a hard time imagining that you are going to find any you know any of the three you know make a, a more significant impact.
0: Yeah, and and what I am getting at is I I don't think that you can pigeonhole C J Frederick under just being a three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Like the the things that me and you've talked about for a year now with him when he joined the program uh, the, the, the when the portal was the first big thing there that summer when Kentucky was putting that roster together was his ability to play high number of minutes with no turnovers. That's a guy you can trust, and his willingness to defend. Like there's so many different impacts that he can make, and you know that that shot it's so pure that I mean there's there's no such thing as an off night for CJ Frederick. Like every time it leaves his hands, you think it's going in. He may miss two in a row, and he has the potential to hit five in a row. So I I think that that plays as well, and uh, I think you're seeing the same things with Antonio Reeves, uh, a guy that I think is going to continue to get better and better on the defensive end of the floor as this season goes along because we know that you're going to have to defend to play minutes in this backcourt for John Calipari because the other two dudes, they can defend. Xavier Wheeler and Casey Wallace, they can defend. So uh, we know that I like the way that this, uh, that this roster is put together, and I, I like that we're finally getting to see it kind of in action, but it's, it's going to look even better when they finally get all their dudes out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one one other note on CJ, it's really fascinating just to kind of show how advanced he is and and where he is at this point. You know, I was talking to um, a family member of his after the game, and he said, you know, the fascinating part about CJ is during the exhibition run, he didn't show off any pump fakes, you know, shot fakes to, leading to a second mid range mid range look, or whatever. And he did that on purpose because he didn't want film to be out there of him, you know doing more than just uh, being a catch and shoot guy. So he's like slowly adding more things to his game. And we're just one game into the season. Uh, But, you know, he, he purposely did that was just a, you know, catch and shoot long, you know, three point launcher in exhibitions, you know, exhibitions. And then uh, obviously the Bahamas and all that. And now we're starting to see him kind of add the mid range stuff that he's already, you know, been known for at Iowa, but we didn't, haven't gotten to see that look, you know, they know that he's the three point guy. So, you know, you could see the Howard guys kind of bailing out on themselves and, and go for the, sh- the 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 shot contest. And he, you know, gave the quick pump fake, t- took two steps inside, had an easy wide open mid range look, and he hit them both. So he does little things like that. Just just so far advanced with with his basketball knowledge and and, and just his comfort on the floor uh, that I really think is going to separate down the stretch. I, I, I'm I'm here to tell you, um, you know, thirty minutes. In his debut is exactly what I'm hoping for. I want him to be a high minute guy. I want Kentucky's biggest minutes this year to be Kaysen, CJ, and CJ, and, and Oscar. And then I want, you know, Jacob and Xavier to kind of be that next tier down with the, you know, maybe early 30s or late 20s. I want that to be kind of the range for both of them. But I, I want CJ to, to to play as many minutes as Cal's willing to play them. I want Kaysen to be on the floor uh, 35 is perfect. I want him to play a ton of minutes this season. And obviously, Oscar's Oscar.
0: And look, that's a confidence thing for CJ getting to play that number of minutes this early into this campaign. I mean, come on. Like that. That's a guy that you have to think when it went through. And, and we know that the mental hurdles that were there. I mean, you're having what happened to you at Iowa. You have COVID. You have a transfer. And then you, you think you're working your way back. And then, boom, you have the injury last year uh, during warmups of the, the Duke game. There's probably points where CJ questioned, man, will I ever be able to play 30 minutes in a college basketball game again? Will I ever be able to play 10 minutes in a college basketball game again? So I think getting out there this early in the year and knowing that your body is healthy, I think is just a big confidence boost for him that he can kind of take that off his mind now and probably just go play some basketball.
1: The uh, other guys uh, that we got a really close look at uh, yesterday, uh, I guess just – throughout the entire exhibition exhibition slate and then maybe even going into Friday's game, uh, Ugo versus Lance Ware, the uh, back uh, the front court battle, figuring out who Kentucky's, you know, backup center behind Oscar shot I think is one of the biggest storylines of the early season because very rarely do you have two guys that are clearly capable of, of Mm -hmm. playing real time minutes. And I think, Everybody just assumed that Lance was going to be that guy because he's the enforcer. He's the role player off the bench that knows who his, you know, exactly what his role is and what he, the impact that he brings to this team. And he continues to, you know, the the, the numbers that he put up last night: four points, one of uh, two shooting, two for six from the line. That has to get better. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 free throw shooting has to get better on his end. But three rebounds, two assists, uh, one block, four steals in twenty minutes that's kind of going to be what he needs to be this year just the he's never going to leave a, a goose egg in the in the box score across the board. He's going to yeah. give you something across the board. He's going to give you defense, he's going to give you hustle, he's going to give you uh you know a, a quick cleanup bucket or two, all of those things. But Uganda Onyenso Sean continues to be a guy that you can trust to be in it. Not just a very solid shot blocker off the bench, an elite shot blocker. Four blocks in his Kentucky debut after doing that. I think he hasn't hit below that four block mark in the entire exhibition. Maybe three in one game, but at least you know a handful of blocks every single time he steps on the floor thus far. Four rebounds, six points, three of four shooting. Um, I think he even had an assist in there too. But in 20 minutes, you know, zero turnovers. Uh, Ugo is a guy that the expectation for him going into the year was so far is so far different at this point what he's contributing and what he's bringing to the table every time he plays. Uh, I mean we have a real debate right now about who should be the backup center and I think it's a great thing because I think the expectation was like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to have Ugo play some spot minutes here and there while Lance is really the guy. But the fact that we're even having this debate is is spectacular for this team's development.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. Because yeah, we were kind of wondering, would we even see him at all? And now we've been seeing quite a bit of him. And the thing with uh, Onyenso, to me, is where he plays. And last night it did happen. One of those blocks led to a transition three. Absolutely. Ben Antonio Reeves buried on the in the corner on the other end. It's a transition starter when you have a guy that can do that and make plays above the rim and just get let these guards and these wings get out and run. Uh, but Lance Ware also, I think this is where Onyenso's impact helps Lance. There's no just surefire, you're the second guy behind Oscar Sheboy now. It's pushing Lance to do the things that makes Lance who Lance is, mm-hmm. to be the best version of him. And then you've got Onyenso trying to get into the mix of it too. Like I, I think anytime you have competition in practice and for minutes, it brings out the best in your roster. Yeah. I mean, you're either you're either going to do it or you're going to push to the side and let your spot get taken. And they're two entirely different players, which I think you want anyhow. You don't want the same guy. Mm-hmm. If you need Lance one night to do some things and you trust Lance, set screens, rebound, do some things like that, or if you're you need somebody at the rim, some of these guards in SEC play and you want to raise some shots, you throw Onyenso in there. Like I think Cal has options at multiple spots on this roster. But to me, Onyento's ability to play defense and to give Kentucky something that it doesn't have at any other spot, I think that might be what plays out as you get into January. It wins out.
1: And and I thought it was fascinating that Cal, after the second exhibition game, for the first time, confirmed that Ugo was playing this year, and I think that was something that we would all we were all kind of waiting for. Uh, like we said, we we expected him to get spot minutes every once in a while, especially with Oscar out, you know, to start the year and all that. Uh, so you know, this doesn't really impact the long term season projections. But we, for the first time, Cal basically said, "Look." We weren't expecting Ugo to be as good as he is. And I think that's something that we all thought that, you know, with expectation when he came in and they kind of minimized the redshirt talk. But I knew talking to people behind the scenes during the recruitment process, the plan was 100% to redshirt him just because they didn't need him. They had Oscar, they had Damian as kind of the floating four slash five, and they had Lance as the. You know, surefire backup. Why did you? Why would you need a a super raw offensive talent? You know, yeah, he's a shot blocker, but uh, you know, he's just he arrived in America in January, Sean. That's the thing that blows my mind the most out of all this. This is a guy that hasn't even been in the states for a year. Like he is just now figuring out life as an American kid, let alone as a you know high level college basketball talent. So it's just it's just really neat seeing cows kind of just, you know, look like, okay, Lance was going to be the guy and Ugo's kind of forcing our hand. And now we're going to have to play both of them. And I think he's kind of understanding that where it's like, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we even have this debate because uh, it it just shows how deep this team is. And it goes into, you know, there's a lot of talk, a lot of questions that we have coming in. Appreciate everybody uh, sending in comments. We'll definitely get to all of those, but a lot of talk about the rotation. And wow. Cal said that he wants an eight-man rotation. That's what his best teams are. But he said he has eleven rotation quality players. Sean and I think that uh, in itself kind of just it's it's a dilemma for Cal, and it's a good dilemma to have. Uh, but it, it's it's also something that that you gotta factor in with guys like Ugo, with guys like Adu who's yeah. been sensational to start to, to start his time at Kentucky. There's a lot of playable pieces that. It, how are you going to put all of them together, and when are you going to utilize all of them?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's uh, it's the hardest thing about being a coach is juggling, especially when you have guys that can play. And and I'm convinced that they have 10, 11 guys that can make an impact. But is that what's best for what you're trying to do long-term in an individual season? And that's the decisions that Cal has to make. When it comes down to it, when this team is in the NCAA tournament, in March and they're trying to get to a final four, win a national championship. It's not going to be 10, 11 guys. Yeah. We, you want your best of the best on the floor for the majority of minutes. And these guys that are going to play, like we know when it gets to the NCAA tournament, Oscar, she boys playing 37, 38 minutes. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Case and Wallace, all these guys going to be North of 34, 35 minutes unless there's foul trouble or other situations. I do think settling down in onto an eight-man rotation is by far the best thing to do when it comes if you're wanting to be that team that wins a national championship. It's just how do you get to that point? And it's opportunities. These guys are going to get opportunities, and it all comes down to what do they do in those moments? What Who shows up at champions? When the bright lights are on and you're playing a Michigan State, who shows up at champions? That's, that's how you do it. And I just think that who shines the brightest – on those stages will be what determines what this rotation looks like but it's it's hard because I do feel like there are a couple guys that are going to be left out of the mix that you want to see be in there but it, and some of them probably maybe upperclassmen Let, let's say that it is lance you know lance has been a guy that's in this program but how much does lance play i don't know
1: Yeah. that's a comment that it's, I think the, the uh, reoccurring theme in this comment section right now is very clearly indicate, you know, rotation talk is, is, is a top kind of rig. I'm honestly not sure who Cal is going to cut his rotation rotation down to eight, nine guys when they have 11 that can play really well. It's a good nice. problem to have though. Uh, Daryl Williams, case and Reeves CJ top and Oscar is your starting five. That's who I would personally have. Um, although, you know, Xavier. He's not a guy that I don't think would ever be willing to come off the bench, with, no matter what he says. That's uh, going
0: to be the challenge, too, I think, because I, I do I do think that's the lineup. I, I really do.
1: Um, Darrell Williams, U- Ugo, is the valuable piece. No, piece, no disrespect to Lance. Um, Stuart Taylor, I really like this team. Cal's toughest ro- challenge will be finding his eight-man rotation. Um, Jeff Sales, Casey, Reed, CJ Toppin, Sheboy Start. I like that. That's definitely mine uh, as well.
0: How good are you though when you're talking not starting the guy that's led the power 5 in assists for back-to-back years at two different schools and in a in, a, in a Cousy award final. Ugh. I mean come on like and I get it like Xavier has his limits right and we yeah. know we know those like we right. know when we know when Kentucky's hitting threes and Oscar's run to the rim Xavier's at his best when he's got space to work. But in those games where it's not happening I think Kentucky now has the luxury of having a guy like Kason who can do some things that Xavier Wheeler cannot do, but you even you get even better defensively on the ball.
1: And, and Ross Rossborn brings that up. Uh, how much does the ability of having our point yeah. guard Wallace be able to make shots change our offense? We haven't had that since Win Night, and that's that's kind but of the thing,
0: right? And you lose not nothing defensively. You gain defensively.
1: Sean, it's a, <laughs> look, and you know we, I, I love Xavier Wheeler. I do. What did we say? Look, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, be Mister Pat yourself on the back. But what did we say during the recruitment process when when he signed with Kentucky? When we saw him play, we said a better offensive version of Ashton Higgins, a guy yeah. that was going to finish at the rim. You know, he had a couple left handed finish. He he went through and dunked in the lane. That Cal said uh, Cal kind of dared him and said. Um, you know, I, I I don't think you can even dunk. And Kaysen goes goes nope. cuts through the middle of the lane and and dunks it. And like I remember sitting up there on press row, and I'm like, that's that's our point guard. Like that's our point. Well, like, that, is, that is your point guard right there.
0: And you remember when we were talking, and and I there was there was some people saying that he's he's not his athleticism is not there. And I was like ah. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's some sneaky athleticism with Kaysen. I I think Kaysen moves well. And I think since last spring in those all-star games and things from high school, I think you've seen an improvement in the way his body moves since he's got to Kentucky. That's the biggest difference to me. He's more shifty and everything offensively. I mean, we're not talking about a guy that's going to blow you away in the end. He's just so big and strong and he can use that to his advantage. He can play through contact. That jumper looks better than what I think what we ever thought it was going to be. And he adds an option now when you're talking CJ and Antonio Reeves and these guys offensively. He's not a dead spot from the three-point line. You can't just back up five feet off of him. That's why I think when it comes down to closing basketball games, I don't know if Sabir Wheeler is going to be on the floor. I really don't.
1: And Cal, I think for the first time, acknowledged that. Um, and I think he understands what he has at that position and, and just the backcourt back in general. At Media Day, his quote talking about Xavier was very telling, and I think it's going to be something that we come back to in several months because Cal basically said, we love Xavier. We appreciate Xavier. When he's at his best, he's phenomenal. He, there's not a better playmaker in college basketball, blah, 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 blah. blah. But teams have to respect you on the perimeter. Teams have to respect you as a shooter. And right now, they don't. And that's something that has to change. And that little tiny comment, and he also continued to talk about Kaysen as a point guard. You know, he had every opportunity to say, you know, yeah, you know, when you have two talented guards like that, you know, two talented point guard, you know, type, you know, ball, primary ball handlers capable of doing that, uh, you know, it's a great problem to have. We're going to put them on the floor together at the same time, blah, 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 blah. But then he continued to talk about Kaysen as a point guard, and he he said we haven't even gotten to the off-ball stuff because Kason has been the complementary piece to, to Savier going heads you know head to head with him, which you know iron sharpens iron. You like seeing those two go back and forth because you know I think Savier makes uh, Kason better defensively. You know we saw last night I think uh, Kaysen struggled a little bit with just you know kind of tight on-ball defense and and you know, kind of the 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 nat defense that. Uh, I, I just hit his first time seeing that at the college level, I think he struggled with it to start with and he kind of eased his way into it. Uh, but Savir was doing, you know, I think holds him accountable in that regard in practice while case and holds Savir certainly accountable on the other end of the floor uh in that regard as well. So it's a, a fascinating situation that Cal, you know, the loyalty that he, that he brings to the table and, and, I I don't know I don't know how you would how you would do it I know how I would do it and I've said it from the beginning that I think the lineup is is Case and Antonio CJ is your your one two three but uh, I I get it I I, I totally get well,
0: it I, I do too and you know I've been one of the biggest Xavier Wheeler guys since he got to Kentucky and I, I love his ability to defend ninety four feet. I love him in transition, and when Kentucky's hitting threes, I I think that it's hard to find a guy that's better until Kaysen Wallace. (laughs) I just like what Kaysen adds offensively, in addition to you get even better defensively at that spot. Now, I do think that there's going to be a lot of times where you're going to see both of those guys on the floor together, and then you're really good defensively at the one and the two, especially on the ball. So, I mean, Sabir, even it, whether he starts or not or plays 20 minutes a game, like his role is still going to be significant. But I just, I'm talking closing games. When it comes down to winning basketball in winning time, I don't think they're going to be able to take Case and Wallace off the floor, but I also don't think they're going to be able to take CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves off the floor either.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. And Antonio, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because Cal said that he likes him off the bench. And I think that might've also been the key to, you know, stress that I think that's going to be the the swap. Uh, well, I mean, I, Chris started yesterday and, and Antonio came off the bench regardless. So I think that's going to be the swap. Um, it's Chris coming off the bench and Xavier starting with case and sliding down and CJ starting at the three. I, I think that's, that, that's the one. Um, but I, I, Curious your thoughts on Antonio being the spark plug kind of microwave scorer off the bench. Cal said that he likes him in that role. And I, I can't say I disagree, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's not about who starts. It's about who closes. And yeah. I think Antonio has to be the guy who closes.
0: So it doesn't matter that starting lineup, lots out, fireworks, whatever they do, you, you can start, or you can come off the bench and still play 35, 36 minutes. And and I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually – want to leave it as is i i think it would work best if, if reeves comes off the bench like don't change the role doesn't change he's been cooking since he got to kentucky and like d- don't mess with it i mean i i know i'm talking a different level of basketball here i'm talking i coach eighth grade basketball but i have i've had a kid that's been playing very well and contemplated making a change and i went to the kid and he's like no don't mess with me you know leave me alone that's a really responsible thing for an eighth grade kid to do so i mean Sometimes I think it's best just to talk to these guys, and if they buy into their role and what it is, like, cool, just let me do what I'm doing. But I love bringing him off the bench because it's instant offense. And you may start out hot with the starting lineup and hitting shots, but if you're not, you know what you got coming in. you got a guy that instantly changes the way you play offensively and adds another shooter to the to the floor there.
1: <laughs> I'm laughing at says I still have faith that, faith that BC will uh, be in the lineup uh Is that Brendan Canada? <laughs> I, I'm assuming the dude is still a, a raw talent. I I'm, That's Brendan Canada, right? I don't know of any other BC. It has on.
0: to be him, right?
1: Hey, Brendan's kind of hooping. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he's been coming in, and he's been playing really freaking well. Uh, he got first half minutes yesterday, Sean, in a regular season basketball game. He played. Yeah. Really, I think he played like four seconds, but he got first half Playing time, and I was like, he's kind of he's kind of hooping a little bit. I I do like Brennan Canada. I don't know if he's going to be in the lineup uh, in the rotation. I I would be highly, highly, highly surprised if that were to ever happen. But I, I, you know, I I think he's he's playing pretty well, and uh, definitely a a a nice piece to have in practice. And you know, he's he's uh, he's a he's a real walk on. He's you know he's a guy that you like to you know hold your other players accountable and, and actually. You know, make an impact in practice. He's he's a high level, you know, practice player. You know, there are other walk-ons that you know more of a favor to other guys why they're there and things like that. And and you know, I understand why they're there as well. But uh, you know, they all contribute in their various ways, and then I, I certainly like them quite a bit. Um, rolling through some of the other uh, uh, difference makers on the team, I thought Chris Livingston, Sean, was somebody that. You know, I think we're we're still trying to figure out who he is and what his role is going to be. You know, he says I'm you know two through four. Um, you know, my first time playing power forward for the first time in my basketball career, which kind of true. But you know, he was a fourth guard playing for Steve Smith up at Oak Hill. Um, you know, they ran a dribble drive like a true dribble drive that that was very similar to what Cal's running and you know kind of similar role to what he's playing right now. But uh, his first time really playing a true four position, uh, which is what we talked about you know when he was getting recruited here uh, that i thought that was going to be where he best best thrive he finishes with 9 points 4 of 6 shooting 1 for 2 from 3 4 rebounds uh one turnover one steal in 19 minutes i think chris livingston is is maybe the most underrated player on the team because of everything that he brings to the table um just you know i think he he understands the game very well he knows his role he's a uh you know you know, I think he's a little clunky at times, and, and you know, I, I think he yeah. should should be a 3-4, not a 3-2 uh, type type of player. But uh, when he plays his game, uh, he had one sequence yesterday, Sean, where he got the offensive rebound. He didn't rush with it. He didn't, you know, try to go straight back up with it and get blocked or whatever. He kind of took his time and, and set himself up for kind of a, a fadeaway, you know, eight-footer or whatever it was, and he drilled it. His shot's just really pure and – and I, I think he's going to be that that difference maker, glue guy off the bench. I really, really big fan of living of Livingston. Um, maybe not the role that he was hoping for when he signed here as kind of the eighth man, but I think that's going to be a role that he's going to really embrace and really thrive in uh, this season.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of what Chris brings to this team and and what his role is going to be. And I, and I think it's going to be one of those those guys that it's never the same game to game if that makes sense. Like, I think there's going to be moments where he's going to be called upon to play more minutes, and I think there's going to be games where he's going to be called called upon less. And I I think that – and maybe that'll be the challenge as a freshman, right, a a heralded recruit coming out of high school, that maybe his role kind of is up and down throughout the season. A lot of it, I think, depends on how well Jacob Toppin's doing and then how well – is it, is it working with C.J. Frederick and, and Antonio Reeves together on the perimeter? What is happening with Xavier Wheeler? We, we know that you have the option to, to slide Chris 3-4 and do some different things. But I think his size, I think he could be a guy that could grab some offensive rebounds for Kentucky and get some some buckets near the rim. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing that could get Chris extended minutes to me is the commitment to the d- defensive end of the floor and rebounding at his position. Like, I think that is a big thing that could really separate him and get him more run as the season progresses. And what better time to do it here in the early conference where there's going to be plenty of games where you should get some – you should get some opportunities.
1: Would you say – so – if you had to name your eight right now, is Cal saying that, you know, eight is kind of his target right now? And I thought it was interesting. He said, the last time I played 10-11 when, you know, he did the platoon, he said, I couldn't recruit for, uh, recruit for two years. He said that every other team, every team I I, I recruited against was saying, oh, you're going to go to Kentucky and, and get, you know, 20 minutes a game and, and you know, not be able to get the shots that you deserve and all that. He was like, I couldn't recruit recruit, recruit for two whole seasons. Um
0: So, who's the eight, right?
1: I think... Oscar, for sure. Oscar, for sure. So, I think going one through five and then six through eight, I would say Savir, Kaysen, CJ, Jacob, Oscar is your five. Absolutely. And then I think Antonio is your sixth man. I think... Ooh. uh Man, that's that's tough. Um Damien is your seven and then Chris is your eight. Or swap those Chris is your seven so, and your eight?
0: so you've got four perimeter players there. You got the three guards starting, and then you got Antonio. So that's a four guard rotation there. And then you've right. got the forwards, Damien, Jacob, and Chris around Oscar. So I
1: think that's your eight.
0: I think that's your eight too. I, I do. And then I think your nine. Is probably I amuto mean <laughs> so, right? That's, your that's nine. That's my nine. That, that's my nine. That, that's, that's, my, that's my nine as well. And I, I think, or it, the, like, yeah, or or do you go Lance? And, and that's why I think it uh, changes game to game. Yeah, who nine is? Because let's say Oscar gets in foul trouble. Where are you going? Are, are and, you going to go? Are you going to go, Damien? Kind of, kind of, Damien running the five. Some maybe. I don't know. Like, that's what I want to see. And I don't think you get those questions answered until you see Kentucky get up against some stiff competition and and where they're put in these situations. Like, you can't simulate these things. Like, you can go through practice and it's practice, but you can't really simulate any of this until you start playing and you have all your guys available to play. That's when you kind of get your questions answered. But I do think that those are the eight. I think those are the surefire eight guys. It's just now who's nine and does nine change game to game depending on the opponent and what you're trying to do.
1: I will say, I'm I'm concerned about Damian. I, I want that to be yeah. put out there. Um, having a week to all right, and I, you know this might be a, a little bit of a tangent, but I thought we saw Cal at his best after the press conference on Friday how he talked about Damien's dad's passing and um, just how he addressed it, how delicate he was with it, understanding the fragility of, of all of it. And look, you never want to have anybody on your team lose their dad. It's a, it's a it's the absolute gut-wrenching. It's, it's just a, an indescribable just tragedy for anybody. But if there was one player on this team that couldn't afford to lose their biggest support system, it was Damian. And we had talked on this show, you know, several times in the past that I had heard last when he signed with Kentucky that people back home, you know, there were some people, even, even some rival schools that were recruiting Damian that said, Kentucky isn't, you know, he's a small town country boy, you know, not used to the spotlight, not a fan of, of the spotlight, that type of, of kid, they said, it's going to go poorly. His freshman year, he's going to transfer home. He's going to go home and see dad, see, see family. And and he's going to play at Texas tech or Texas A&M or somebody somewhere like that, where he could be closer to home, be you know closer to family, all that stuff. So that was something that I, you know, kind of brushed off at the time. I was like, yeah, you know, he wouldn't have signed with Kentucky if he wasn't ready for that moment, you know, things like that. Um, he has his first year. It went well, you know, it was okay. You know, he he did some good things, but it was about what I expected, just considering who he was and, you know, the rawness of him and and the potential uh, that he had. But this off season, I remember calling Ben, you know, Damien's dad and saying, Hey, I know there was some talk about, you know, him wanting to go home. I know his first year didn't go as, you know, probably you all planned as him being a you know superstar and all that he said look he signed a four-year scholarship he's going to be there four years If he needs to be there for four years we don't care you know we're we're here for the uh, for the process we we know that that he's in the right place for for his development we we trust him we trust coach Cal. so that was kind of my okay he's good he's good but he was also Damien's best friend he was his biggest support you know person somebody that he leaned on for every big decision All of that, what does that do to somebody? Damien that he Damien lost his best friend. How does that impact your on-court life? How does that impact your off-court life? You never know with with a 20-year-old kid. He lost his dad four days after he turned 20. That's sick. Like that's that is absolutely gut-wrenching. And And I don't know. know. I, I, I don't know how that will change his trajectory whatsoever. And I'm I'm just gonna have to have see this season before before making any type of, of assessment, any change of mind, any change of heart, whatever. Uh, it, it could it could be a huge benefit benefit for him where he kind of plays for his dad for the rest of the season and you know kind of you know engages with this, you know, killer instinct, big, you know, killer mindset, or it could cause him to crumble. And and Cal even admitted that at the podium. He was like, this is not good. This is really not good. They were really close and, and I'm worried about it.
0: This this is one where John Calipari and, and Kentucky's I mean, you got to be careful with it. Yeah, you you don't want to you don't want to throw too much, but you're hoping that basketball becomes that outlet, that that team becomes that outlet for him. That kind of wraps its arms around Damian and Damian's family, and and you and I know this. I mean, we were in Memphis, and I remember standing there with you talking to Ben. And we were, you know, we were talking about his truck and and everything that, that made Ben who Ben was and Damien's life. And you, you and I had conversations, too, where leading into it, or, you know, you were telling me that people were concerned, like, hey, if this doesn't work out, Damien's not going to be here. Damien's going to possible transfer and all this stuff. And then you saw the commitment and a lot of it being Ben's commitment. Yep. To
1: to, to, down, to Damien, third yeah.
0: To you don't have to be on this trajectory. It's you're on your own time frame here. And we hear Cal say this all the time about kids at Kentucky. And I think a lot of families, they don't they don't hear it. Mm-hmm. They see all the other stuff and they don't hear it. Damien's family and Ben saw all of it. They heard all of it. And I think that that was the biggest thing that was kind of keeping everything as it was. And I, my hope is that Damien comes – and he channels this, and he, and he figures out, and he has an unbelievable year playing for his dad.
1: Very, which and, and, which very, very,
0: very well could happen. And that his team, we know this team is going to be there to pick him up every step of the way. And John Calvary, I, I you're right. I, I think, and I hate that it's under these circumstances, Absolutely. but I feel like the best of Cal comes out when tragedy happens. Is that fair to, like, is, Unfortunately, is that fair to say? Unfortunately, yes. Yes. And, and I just think that that moment Friday night, and I, I wasn't able to be there. We had a game, but I, I listened to it and I'm like, this is what makes Sean Calipari who he is. He genuinely cares about every single person that is involved with him. And this situation is no different. And I, I think that D- Damien's going to have the support that he needs. And I don't think there's anyone that I've ever, that I'm ever going to pull harder for than Damien Collins.
1: I and that's a great point. And, and Cal, on that note, when when he was talking Friday, I'll admit I had tears in my eyes. It was it was one of the most vulnerable conversations that I've heard Cal have ever during his time here at Kentucky, at least doing this doing this job, where he just kind of flat out said, "We've never experienced anything like this. This is this is something that um, it has shocked our entire program." And and he said. I don't understand any of it. He said, you know, he's a religious man. He said, I I trust God. You know, God makes his own decisions. But he said, but God is good because in his final hours, he spent an hour and a half rebounding for his son at the Joe Craft Center. And then he goes home back to his apartment that he had just gotten to be close to Damien. He goes back and he talks to his wife, Kim, for 20 minutes on the phone. And then he passes away he said the, the two most important people in his life and and Damien's life and the, that circle right there, that's who where where he spent his last two hours of his life before passing. And it's like and, and, and when he put it in those those terms, it was just kind of like a it I mean it launches you back into your seat where it's just like none of this other stuff matters. All I care about right now is Damien making sure he's good, you know, worried about his mental health. I, I really appreciated how he said. Uh, look, this is the time that people go into their dark their dark places. He said, "I got to get him out of his damn room. I got to get him away from that phone in that pit of darkness that I guarantee you that he's in. He needs to get in that gym. He needs to be around his teammates. He needs to stay with me. If he's you know worried about anything, he needs to come stay with me." And, and it's little things like that where it's like nope. that's Cal is at a, a a place that no nobody else is like that.
0: No, yeah, and and, and I'm, I'm you know I'm following on Twitter. You know notifications and things Friday night and the details and, and stuff that Cal sharing about Ben being in the gym with him and you know and his wife and stuff not able to get a hold of him I and mean, it just gut wrenching to to hear that and to think that you know Ben's last moments he got to spend it with Damien you know in the gym in Lexington you know working with him and stuff it's just. uh it's a very it's just a tragic story there's just no other way to put it like i i hate it like like you said damien just turned 20 years old last week Four now he's and now he's faced with living life and figuring out life without his best friend that's not that's not easy i can't do that at 33 years old let alone 20 yeah and, in, yeah. and in one of the biggest spotlights in college basketball i mean come on like the, not now. I will say this: Not only does this team wrap its arms around Damian Collins, this entire fan base does. Mm-hmm.
1: And, this is
0: and, a, this is a thing where Kentucky Kentucky gets Damian through this. Mm-hmm. That's and, my hope. That's my hope.
1: And A. P. Parker says nothing like this. Two players literally passed away, which is is very fair, and it's kind of just sickening to think that we're even in this position where tragedy just continues to strike this team in, in just indescribable ways. But I think what Cal was saying when when he said he's never experienced anything like this um, is he's never had the player yeah. having to console the player himself. The other guys were lost, like they like they were lost, and he had to console his his other players around him. Now he's having to console the guy who has been most directly impacted in, in this circumstance, and, and he said um, the only thing that's ever come close to it in terms of you know trying to console the player while also the people around him and, you know, the the family around them and things like that with Marcus Canby uh, back at UMass said that that there was a moment where he just abruptly passed out and, and, you know, was unconscious, had to get taken to the hospital, didn't coach that night. It was a you know, really just awful, awful moment for them. Um, said that that was a moment that it was a very similar situation. He was still there with them and he came back, but it was like an every day was a, uh, is he – you know, is he going to just drop dead at any given moment? Like, you know, what are the parents thinking when he's at, um, you know, at school and, 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 you know, how are the parents thinking with Cal trusting him and, you know, with them them and his teammates and how they're adjusting with all of that as well. So he said that was the only thing that's ever come close to it in terms of having to, you know, console the individual, him, you know, himself along with their inner circles, which I, I agree with, but to their point, it really does suck that now this is the third tragedy in what, three years, Sean, of a very significant death in the family of, you know, UK. And then, I mean, that's not even counting guys like, you know, Carl Towns losing his mom who, you know, kind of, she kind of became a, you know, kind of a, you know, figure in big blue nation at the time, kind of a similar situation with Damien's dad just, you know, somebody that everybody loved and and all that just really, really sucks that we're even having to have these conversations uh, overall.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, when we talk about this stuff, on sources say it's never fun. We talked about the parents Clark situation. We we talked about Ben Jordan's passing. It's it's never fun to talk about this. And like I said, you texted me last week. I was walking into Scout somewhere, and you texted me and, and told me. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, it, you think you have it. You think everything's figured out. One moment, and the next moment, you find out you don't have anything figured out. And that's that's the hardest thing to. To grasp, but even more so for a 20-year-old kid who's working to achieve his dreams, and not just his dreams, but dreams that his that his father had for him, and dreams that his family has for him. And I just hope, I just hope it works out for Damian. Like I'm, I'm going to be pulling so hard for that young man.
1: Yeah, I think that's something everybody does, and and, and I appreciate that they fa- they FaceTimed him during the starting lineups yesterday. Um, he was wasn't there in attendance, obviously. But while the starting lineups were being named, they had the Facetime going and and showing Damien. You know, he, you know, we're here. Like we're here. We're doing this for you. This this game is here for you. Incredible gesture that UK uh, did. Like like you said, this is this is Cal at his best. And um, it's
0: unfortunate that that's his best it is. under any circumstances. But it is. This is but, what makes John Calipari so great
1: the program does a really, really good job of dealing with things like this. And I I hope, I hope that this turns into a, as you know, not, it will never be a good thing that, you know, to, to, you know, build off of or whatever, but uses this and turns it into a, you know, an opportunity for Damien to really explode into the player that his dad always wanted him to be. I think that will be the, um, the the coolest thing out of all of this is seeing if, you know, hoping fingers crossed that Damien, explodes and, and, you know, turns this into a, uh, you know, da- Ben, you know, dad was you know my biggest figure. I want to make him proud. And I think that would be, that, that would be awesome. Let's um, turn a, you know, a little bit more positive and, and you know, ho- ho- hope to close the show out on a little bit more uh, happy note. Um, just real quick, Duquesne on Friday, going into the g- game two of the season. We don't know officially about Oscar or Savir yet. Damien. Again, we don't know if he'll be playing or not. Cal said he's here right now. He return to practice, but the funeral is on this weekend, so I don't know if, if you know the timing will work out for him to play and then go home, or how how that's going to work. But what are you looking for uh, for Kentucky going into Game Two against Duquesne? Uh, any individual standouts that you want to build on their last performance? Guys that you want wanted a little bit more of uh, against Howard? What what are your thoughts? Um, Going into game two. I, I
0: think consistency is what I'm looking for in some guys, but also more does the rotation do, Is it look different at all? Does one guy one spot get more opportunity, more minutes than they did in game one? Because this is the last tune-up before you get a test with Michigan State and Indy next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then Gonzaga's looming just around the corner here. Like there's some pretty big games coming up here for this team, and that's what I'm looking at. I, I want to make sh- I want to see CJ Frederick continue to do his thing and be healthy. I want to see Antonio Reeves continue to, to shoot the ball well and do those things. Does, does Kaysen continue to look comfortable at the one? But more so, what does the role with Ugana and Lance look like? That's the one that I'm paying the most attention to because one of those guys is going to have an impact on this team. I don't know if both of them will. Mm -hmm. One of them will, though. So which one separates themselves? And we might not even get it answered against Duquesne. It might not get answered until Kentucky faces Michigan State.
1: Unfortunately, uh, FT says top and higher field goal percentage. I agree. I I like – uh, I yeah. like what Toppin brought to the table, uh, 15 points, 5 of 12 shooting, one for two from three, but he was four for seven from the free throw line, 11 rebounds, his first career double-double, uh, two assists, two steals, zero turnovers in 32 minutes. Uh, he did do a lot of, uh, you know, really nice stuff, He, he the, the kind of grab-and-go stuff that, uh, you know, when you're that versatile, when you're that big, long, athletic, strong as, as he is uh, and skilled as he is, you know, you want him to be a a guy that will push the you know push the pace and, and you know start transitions, uh, and I, I think that uh, we got to see that in full display. But I want to see him more efficient shooting the ball. That was been that's been my concern that his confidence and kind of growing uh, abilities you know those two things meshing together, confidence and, and his skill growing is going to lead to bad shots. He's going to kind of you know he's a guy that clearly wants to be a draft pick this year. He wants to be a first round potential lottery pick type guy. And I don't want him sh- taking shots for him to be a lottery pick. I want him to take shots, winning basketball shots, and, and that's going to be something that I'm hoping for. And that's what I—that's at the top of my list as well. Um, going into the Duquesne, I want him to play winning basketball. He did that as a, as a rebounder and even as you know, putback specialist and hit a couple of shots. But uh, if you have an open lane here, there's one opportunity. He, you know, I think he cut from the left wing, cut across the middle. And he had the path. And he I think he had a you know clear mismatch attacking the basket, but he settled for a pull-up kind of leg kicker, foot kicker, <laughs> a mid-range jumper that the talking about, and he missed it. And I thought, you know, had he attacked the basket and and you know utilized that mismatch, it would have been better for the team, and, and that would have been winning basketball. It wouldn't have been as pretty it wouldn't have been a you know on his draft reel because he would have been taking a mismatch on a 511 you know shooting guard but that's that's winning basketball that's something that will end up helping him in in, in his draft run because his stats will look better he'll he'll look yep. better on film uh, those misses won't do him any good uh, on you know draft night so that's what no, I'm-
0: and and talking topping and, and even livingston i mentioned you know offensive rebounding like I'd love to see that spot grab some offensive rebounds, be a Jacob Toppin, get some easy baskets. He had a huge rebound the other night and put one in. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that was great. So that that's what I want to see, those those high-energy plays from him. Run the floor in transition, catching lobs, uh, blocking shots, defending one through four. I'm looking for consistency with some guys, though. I want to see guys that played well in game one build on in game two and guys that maybe didn't play as well in game one try to figure it out and, and get back to – uh, playing good basketball, because this is opportunities. When you have guys out, it's opportunities for some guys to say, hey, you have to play me. Look, I'm good enough to play. And Definitely. that's what you want to see. Take yeah, advantage that, of the opportunity.
1: That was kind of the second point that, that I want, to, that I'm looking forward to. I want Cal to be more uncomfortable on Friday night. I want him to have more tough decisions to make moving forward because Ugo played so well, because Lance played well in his role. Because Adu Thero, as Kentucky's potentially 11th man, came in and, and you know, continued to play well. He had four points, four or six from the line. He, he drove hard, and he was physical. And then the way he attacked was like, yes, that's I- exactly what this team needs. Just go get some qu- some easy free throws. Go, you know, get a tough rebound. He had five rebounds. Uh, which I believe was third on the team, which incredible one assist, only one turnover, 14 minutes. That's high level basketball. He's going to play every once in a while. I don't know if he's going to have an actual role in this team, but I want that to be a conversation Cal has to have. And I I think that's, you know, that's, that's something that I'm hoping that Cal is more, I want Chris Livingston to continue to play well, do what he did and and force Cal to play him. Um, I think that that is going to be, uh, what I'm looking for the most. I want Cal to have an unco- uncomfortable Friday evening after the game where he goes, damn, I got 11 dudes and I don't know what to do with them.
0: Uh, I've got 15. And I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so, I understand Cal. Trust me. I understand.
1: <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, let's get out of here with this signing day. The, the signing period is set to begin uh, tomorrow, uh, last November 9th through the 16th, Sean, it's going to be our first chance to see Reed Shepard become an official Wildcat. Justin Edwards, Rob Dillingham, Aaron Bradshaw, and all eyes are on DJ Wagner. Will he make it official? Will he put pen to paper and commit to Kentucky this week? It's my understanding that that is absolutely the goal. Um, you know, Kentucky. Every time I reach out and try to, you know, pry and you know, do, do we have a commitment date? Do we have this? Do we have that? Every time, it's we're trying. We're trying. We're trying to get it settled. We're trying to get it. Figured out cross T's dot I's, get this thing done. Um, So, nothing official in terms of a commitment date. I reached out to, you know, Kentucky, obviously, but then, you know, even some of my national guys, my my national go to's, um, they're still feeling very confident about the early signing period that it's going to get done. No question about it being Kentucky and, you know, any other schools stepping in, obviously not Louisville. Um, I see a new Nike ad with him. I got an email two days ago that said, uh, be like DJ Wagner, uh, you know, rock the new Nike, whatever basketball shoe, like DJ Wagner. And it was like, how they, they're not even obvious. Like they're not even subtle about this stuff anymore. I mean, he, he, couldn't have been, couldn't be more of an obvious Kentucky lock and, you know, because of the Nike ties and all that stuff. So, uh, I am very much looking forward to the early signing period, Sean, Uh, What are you, you know, kind of hoping for, hoping to see in the signing period? Is, you know, any one recruit out of all of them that you're excited to see put pen to paper uh, as a uh, Kentucky Wildcat? I think that I lost, Sean. Oh, man, that's so sad. I was... Looking forward to getting his take on that. All right, well, it looks like we're wrapping up the show with me. I am looking forward to, uh, I think, most getting Rob Dillingham signed. Is I mean, I think that's something that uh, everybody has kind of been on pins and needles waiting to see how that whole thing unfolds because of just kind of the back and forth with his recruitment and and all that. I, I, I uh, have been told by multiple different people that the expectation is for him to sign uh, on the dotted line with Kentucky. I, I talked to Overtime Elite today. Uh, You know, trying to figure out, is there a signing ceremony? Are they doing anything like that? They said um, it's definitely more individualized. Um, They're not doing an official, you know, signing day ceremony or anything like that. So um, nothing official on him yet. But I I have heard that that is 100% the plan to uh, have him sign as well. Reed is signing in the afternoon at North Laurel. That's already a done deal. He will be a Kentucky Wildcat officially tomorrow. Very excited about that. uh, Anthony Gagel says, will Dillingham be playing in Louisville the same day as Shepard Edwards? Uh, it was, He was, and then overtime just backed out literally today. Uh, this afternoon after the news came out, uh, they realized that there was a very big scheduling conflict. They're playing Friday night, late night. Um, it's going to be a big matchup. Rob's playing the uh, Thompson Twins. It's going to be a huge, huge draft matchup that, that uh, the Thompson Twins are supposed to be top you know, five draft picks. Uh, and Rob obviously is Rob, and that's something that everybody's very excited for. But that's late Friday night, and uh, unfortunately, they won't be able to get all the way up in in uh, Louisville uh, for the Sunday afternoon-evening game. So, unfortunately, he will not be um, participating in that event, unlike uh, what, what they were planning. And so that, that kind of sucks, but we'll still get Justin Edwards and Reed Shepard uh, here in Louisville at Freedom Hall, make sure that you go and, and, and get tickets to that. It's going to be a great event. Very much looking forward to uh, covering that. But, yeah, Rob Rob's a guy that I, I have zeroed in on. Uh, that's somebody that I'm definitely excited to have put, put pen to paper and finally become a, a Kentucky Wildcat. No more concerns about a decommitment or the pro route or anything like that. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, I believe that wraps up any other questions. I'm not seeing any others in here. Um, now there was one about DJ, but but all I've heard is that it will be Kentucky, and that we're still uh, planning on this week. That, that they're they're trying to time it right with the Champions Classic for uh, you know just basketball reasons, spotlight reasons. It's it's college basketball's biggest day. It's the premiere uh, of you know the, the the biggest event of this season. So that's definitely one that they are kind of hoping for uh, to, to at least build it around to kind of build the hype behind college basketball season and get DJ committed and signed. Uh, and make that official to give Kentucky five signees. I think that's going to wrap up the class in one heck of a way to finish it out. Uh, very much looking forward to that. A um, lot of fun, great show. I appreciate everybody that commented in. There was a lot uh, of comments and a lot of feedback today. So appreciate each and every one of our listeners. You can find my work uh, at Jack Pilgrim KSR reach out to me via email. j.pilgrim Pilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. We'll be back next week for another jam packed sources, State podcast. We will see you then.